Good morning. morning. We told you this would be a shorter service. We weren't lying. (laughs) Man, uh, you guys are here. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year all at once, okay? Hope you had a good Christmas. I don't know if you experienced it the way that I did. I think as uh, more and more time goes for me, I find myself uh, grieving the end of Christmas Day more and more every year. Uh, We were really uh, focused on the depth of Christmas and allowing our hearts to feel this great anticipation And last night, I left uh, my in-law's house just a little bit before the rest of my family so that I could go over notes and kind of be ready for this morning and uh, found myself grieving it, driving back. Because for this day, the whole world slows down, right? And so it's easy to rest when you know everyone's resting. While many of us, we might, well, I got a whole week of vacation coming up. Yeah, but the the rest of the world starts going again. And it kind of takes away from the depth of rest that we experience on this day. And so I hope that you were able to rest and take in all of God's blessings. Maybe put into practice what we talked about at Christmas Eve services. Maybe you were able to be with God uh, because Christmas meant that much. Today, as we uh, briefly have a time of study, we're going to be in Luke chapter 11 and Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn it on or open it up. If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you. You can use that. Some of the scriptures won't appear on the screen um, today. Um, so if you have a Bible, it might be helpful. Luke 11 and Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to briefly uh, today talk about prayer and the importance of prayer in the life of an apprentice of Jesus. What does it mean for us to spend time in prayer? Now, we can't answer that completely today. We don't have uh, that kind of time, but briefly, we're going to consider that. And some of you, there's probably mixed reactions Similar to Christmas Eve when we said different perspectives, different experiences look at the same thing. I say prayer. Some of you are like, oh, man, nap time. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm here, aren't I? I made it to church. Like, now you're going to bore me talking about prayer. Others are like, I'm a prayer warrior. I love prayer. I'll pray. My turn. Me, me, me. Right? And it's like, okay. And then there's the rest of us. Like, man, I, I sure would love to be a prayer warrior. I would love to be more disciplined in my prayer life. I would love to have this vibrant prayer life. But sometimes it feels like the New Year's resolution that continues to fail. I try it. I pour into it. And it just kind of seems to not work out the way that I hoped that it would. Wherever you're at, I'm hoping that at least a part of what we talk about today might be an encouragement to you. A, a comedian, John Christ, a Christian comedian, had a short bit on prayer that I think sets us up well. Just thinking about different uh, times when we pray in the church and the way that we approach prayer. He said, do you ever have someone in a small group, in your small group, ask you to pray for something that's just so dumb that you think, yeah, no, I'm not going to pray for that. <laughs> a person in my group said the other day, would you pray for my son? He's in the finals of his karate tournament. And I thought, how am I supposed to pray for your son in his karate tournament? Lord, when Connor steps out onto that mat, would you just guide his foot perfectly into the face of that other little boy? <laughs> Would you be the great physician you are and just render that child unconscious? Like, how am I supposed to pray? Says, and then think about this. How am I supposed to pray? Like, how, why do we pray for food the way that we pray for food? Lord, bless this food in the hands that prepared it. Why just the hands? Like, where did we come up with that? Why not the whole body? You see, that's a question you can't ask in the church, right? You can't say that. So the next time you pray over a meal, try asking God to bless not just the hands, but the feet and the kidneys of the people that prepared it and see how the church responds to that. There's a lot like, of weird things we do with prayer. There's a lot of ways that we approach it. There's a lot of baggage that we carry into thinking about prayer and our understanding of it. And so I'm really grateful for passages like the one that we're going to look at here in a few moments where Jesus just offers a little bit of clarity 
to the importance of prayer and the approach that we should take to praying. As we head into 2022, this has been heavy on my heart uh, for our church family. Uh, for a lot of reasons, I, we look at a church calendar and you can see a lot that goes on in the life of a church. And while I think that we do a good job as a praying people, I want us to lean in a little bit more into 2022 about what it means to be a praying church. And what does it really mean for us to come before the Lord and make these requests and ask for his will to be done? And we don't have enough time to explore that in great detail today, but we're going to look at one part of that. In a couple weeks, we're going to start a study in the book of Ephesians. And so if you're someone who likes to read ahead, you can begin to study the book of Ephesians. On the 16th of January, we launched this series. And what you're going to notice, as I've noticed in preparation for this series, is that there's a series of prayers that the Apostle Paul prays. There's a lot that we can learn about prayer in the book of Ephesians that will give us a little more insight into even more of what Jesus taught us about prayer in the passages that we're going to look at today. So this conviction that I've felt, it's come from a lot of places, in my study of Ephesians and some other readings. There was a, a monk in the 1600s who wrote a really well-known book. Many of you may be familiar with it, Brother Lawrence. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. He was a monk in a monastery. And in the monastery, he was given menial tasks, tasks that didn't seem to have a lot of uh, importance to them. But he was committed. And he said, no matter the task, I'm going to experience the presence of God no matter what I'm doing. And so he was asked to do dishes and to take care of the grounds, like raking leaves and, and doing the uh, landscape, all that stuff at this monastery. He was in charge of doing quite a bit of that. And so he was committed, and he said, I'm going to experience Jesus with whatever I'm doing. And so he said, I'm going to do this. While I'm doing dishes, I'm going to experience God's presence while doing the dishes. It's a far cry from saying, I'm going to the ends of the earth to reach unreached people. It's like doing the dishes. But he said, it's not overcomplicated. I'm going to go do the dishes. And while I'm doing the dishes... I'm going to welcome the presence of God into my life while I'm doing something as small as the dishes. And he wrote these well-known words. He said this, We ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity. Speak to him frankly and plainly and implore his assistance in our affairs just as they happen. I'm going to read it again because a lot's not going to show up on the screen. You preach twice in two days, all right? Uh, we ought to act with God in the greatest simplicity. Speak to him frankly and plainly. And implore his assistance in our affairs just as they happen. Can I tell you why I love that? Because when I think about that, just be with God and talk to him openly and frankly. It makes me want to pray. So I don't know what your experience is, but, but with my experience in prayer, it's those long religious prayers where I have to think of the right things and I have to be some sort of theological lecturer every time that I pray that eventually burns me out. And while there's a lot of good things that happen when we pray these very intentional prayers, and we're, but there's something missing when we make prayer simply this long teaching time where I'm just going to use all the right words and say all the right things. For me, it's led me to burn out. I can start really strong and I can be doing really well with that, but eventually there's this missing piece and I wish that I had that in my life and, and I'm missing it. So when I hear definitions of prayer like this, just come to God and be open and frank and honest with him, it draws me in because it makes me think there's no pressure. I just need to be with him and I just need to talk to him. I need to just address him and have a relationship with him. That draws me in. And I think that this is the same experience that the disciples of Jesus had when they watched or witnessed or were around him when he prayed. The first passage we're going to look at, Luke chapter 11 tells us of a time when the disciples had heard Jesus pray. Now, they've heard him pray multiple times, and it kind of comes to this moment, chapter 11. 
One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that's pretty fascinating coming from them. It's really interesting, this interaction they have with Jesus here. You can flip over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll get there in just a moment. You can leave it in actually Luke 11. We're gonna, you can leave it there. That's fine. But it's fascinating to me, this interaction that they have with Jesus. Why? Because the disciples were young, devout Jewish boys. They spent their whole life praying. They had been taught how to pray. They had come to an understanding of the different prayers in the Old Testament. They had memorized scripture. Their schedules were so structured that there were different times of the day that they were scheduled to pray certain types of prayers. They rehearsed certain prayers. They used scripture to pray. These guys had prayed most of their life. And yet, when they hear Jesus pray, there's something different about the way that Jesus prays that's missing in their prayer life. It's a really interesting thing when you think about that. Now, here's the thing. I want to be clear. I don't think that the disciples were altogether wrong in their approach to prayer. I don't. There's a lot that they got right. But even in the midst of their understanding of prayer and their experience with prayer, when they heard Jesus pray, they realized something's different. And I want what he has. I want to experience the witness that we hear in Jesus' voice, the presence of God that Jesus has experienced, we want to experience that. Well, here's the other thing that stands out in this passage. Jesus does not reply to them with a, well, just pray. Say anything that you want. You just talk. Words don't matter. Just let it all out. What I find interesting is that Jesus actually does have a response. He actually does teach them about prayer. He doesn't just say, yeah, it doesn't matter. Just talk. He says, no, you, there, there is something about prayer that you need to learn. You, you want to know what I have that you're missing? I'll teach you what it is. It's this approach, this demeanor, the way that I come before God that is important. And he begins to teach them this. But before he does, he teaches them what not to do. So he says, hey, if you want to learn how to pray, let's start with saying, don't do it this way anymore. And then I'll give you a little bit of insight into what is different about the way that I pray. So in Matthew chapter 6, this is not going to appear on the screen, I'm sorry, but verse 7, Jesus says these things to them. If you look at Matthew 6, verse 7, he says this, And when you do pray, don't do it like this anymore. Don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't come into his presence and just babble on and on. See, Jesus is critiquing these long, drawn-out prayers with a bunch of religious jargon. Notice he does not critique long sermons. I want to be really clear about that. All right, Jay, that was for you, okay? But he does, he says these long prayers where your heart's not really in it and you're just kind of rehearsing all, these diff all this different stuff. It's not working, is it? No, no it's not working. The it's interesting, the word he uses for many there could be translated anxious. So these many words or anxious words, these words that, is God going to listen to me? Have I been good enough? I'm coming into his presence. Have I been religious enough? Am I saying the right things? Am I doing the right things? Because I need to make sure that everything's right. When I come before God, I just need to be sure here. And, and, and you come before him with a lot of anxiety because you're frozen. Maybe you've been here before where you're like, man, I haven't done devotions in forever. I haven't like even thought about God. Like I've missed church a few weeks. Like I've, I'm just not, the state of my spiritual life is not very disciplined. And so coming before God, I'm pretty nervous. I don't know if I can talk. To, I don't know if I can come before. 
It's like you just keep rambling. So you're like, I need to like cover for my lack of discipline with a bunch of words. And I'm just going to come and pray and just kind of babble on and on and on. And Jesus like, don't do that anymore. That's not how we pray. It's not just religious conversation. There's something different here. And then he begins to teach them. He begins to teach them, you need to pray like you're actually talking to your dad. Like you're talking to your father. I like the way the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says it. It says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence like you would if you knew God like a father. And so for the sake of time today, we're just going to hone in on that opening because it tells us about the demeanor in which we should approach God. He says, start your prayers this way, our father in heaven. And what he's telling them is this, yeah, you pray to the Father, and it's through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, in the name of the Son, and so, Father in heaven. So, I, I come before God like he is your Father. Talk to him like he's your dad. Have an intimate connection to him. Now, some of you are already thinking, you know, it can't just be that. It can't. Like, there's so much more. Like, theologically, Rob, you better cover this basis and that basis. And I actually love where your mind's going. I do. Because that's exactly what they would have been thinking, too. Jesus says, no, like, it is this simple. You can have this relationship with God. I like the way J.I. Packer famously wrote it. He said these words. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, you want to know the depth of their spiritual life, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. See, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The fact that God is our Father. When we come before Him, we talk to Him like He is our Father. Many of us, we freeze up, and that's a hard thing for us, and I understand why. Many of us, we've had a bad relationship with our earthly Father. It's made it really difficult to view God as a Father. And so the thought of coming before Him actually brings like these memories and thoughts of times where I tried to come like that before my earthly father and it didn't go well and, and it, didn't, it wasn't good at all. And so I, I don't know about coming before God that way either. And so we freeze up and it's really, really difficult for us. But contrast that with the way that, that, that if you have a healthy relationship, just think about the way that children, before they recognize much, come before their parents. They are completely self-absorbed. They have no hesitation with their selfishness. No offense, kids. Like, really? Think about that. Like a, a kid, a young kid that's just coming and talking to their, they just come in and they just let it all out. They're just like, hey, here's what's going on. Like some of my favorite memories of my whole life have been and will continue to be when my kids at a very young age just come in and let it out with their dad. They just come out and talk like, hey, and they've said things with no filter. And I'm just like, I love that you're willing to do that. We'll get to the maturity part later, but this is great. Now, I got in trouble in the first service, so we're going to do it again in the second service, all right? My, the most recent one, it just is what it is, all right? My, life, my wife does not like conversations around noises that children's bodies make, okay? <laughs> just keep it at that. It's not her favorite thing in the world. So the other day, my youngest, four years old, stands on my bed and says, Dad, hear this, lifts his leg, and created one of those noises, <laughs> And then everybody in the room just starts laughing because it's like there's no filter. He has no like, oh, mom doesn't really like this, and we're doing devotion, so it's not really the best time <laughs> to do that. And he turns around, and he just lets his body fall back onto the bed, and you're just like, I love that he's so comfortable 
in the presence of his mom and dad, just kind of being who he is and talking. This is what I think the disciples saw in Jesus, our Father in heaven. You just come before God, approach the throne room of grace with confidence because you're allowed to be there. You can be who you are. We'll get to the maturity piece another time, but the approach is having a good relationship with your dad and just coming to be yourself around him. Just be with him. Like, God, I just, here's what's going on in my life. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I'm feeling. He just wants to hear it. The maturity piece will come. The theological correctness will come. Just approach him. Now, I get some of us, it's, it's hard because we think about our heavenly father the way we experienced our earthly father, and that wasn't good. I, I didn't have a relationship with my earthly father. He was killed when I was a little boy. So for me, when I became a Christian, this was hard for me. Because Christianity took on this religious feel to me. Even though I understood the gospel, it still kind of had this feel of like, you need to live this way. And I didn't understand what it meant to have a healthy relationship with a father. And so I didn't have that language, that understanding of my relationship with God. And it took me a long time to be able to just be me and not feel weird or guilty or that I needed to change something before I came into his presence. That somehow I needed to clean myself up before he wanted to be with me. And yet Jesus just goes. Anytime he had something, he would retreat and be alone with God, or he would pray. And when he prayed, there's something about it. You're not trying to fix everything in the prayer. You're just being honest. And the disciples were drawn into that. Some of you, the difficulty comes because your earthly dad didn't care. He looked at you more like you were a nuisance or a problem. But you know what the Bible says about your heavenly father? The Bible says about your heavenly father that he delights over you. The words of Zephaniah The Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with singing and praise. He's fascinated with your life. I know that can be hard to believe, but the Bible tells us that it's true. And my experience with God proves that it's true. God is fascinated with the details of your life and loves it when you approach him like he's your father. For you, maybe your earthly father's self-absorbed. But your heavenly father is so into you that he absorbed your sin on a cross. He wants to be with you, and he wants to spend time with you. Walk into the throne room of grace with confidence. God wants you to be there, and you have access. You have intimacy. You have an invitation. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, prayer is both conversational and encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising his glory, so we give him the glory the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle of asking for his help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of his presence. So we have to know, we must know the awe of his praising his glory, the intimacy of finding his grace, and the struggle that we have of asking for his help. Because when that comes together, we experience his presence, practice the presence of God by approaching him like he's your father. So we're going to do that two ways, two things that just kind of apply this sermon today. The first is we're going to take communion. And I want to be honest with you. We don't take communion at this church because it's some religious formality. Honestly, when you think about planning, a, like, do we gather in person on the 26th or what do we do? How do we? For us, the biggest part of the conviction for having services this morning was we need to gather together and take communion. This was the pivotal piece. So when we gather together to take communion, we come into the presence of God and we talk to our Heavenly Father with a depth of gratitude for all that He's done for us. And so that's what we want to do. Don't overthink it. Don't come up with all the right wording. Just 
talk to him. Express your gratitude to him in these next few moments as we partake of communion together. Now, you might do that as a family. This is one of those opportunities, rare, where everybody's here together. And opportunity, dads, I'm going to lean in. Like, you have this opportunity to lead your family well. Just huddle up and just pray a blessing. Ask for God's blessing over your family and thank him that Jesus has given you guys hope. You might want to say, you know what, that's okay, and you, you don't have to do it that way. You can sit back and just kind of reflect personally and just talk to your Heavenly Father. But these are moments that are precious and important. What a better way to finish one year and prepare to get head into the next one than to spend time with God thanking Him for the most pivotal moment in all of human history. So I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done praying, you're going to have some time. You're going to have these moments to just kind of sit and be with God, be with Him together, be with Him individually. But either way, approach the throne room of grace with confidence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have. God, we thank you for your many blessings in our life. We thank you that when we come before you, we don't have to just think of all the right words and do all the right things. We can just be with you. And in practicing being in your presence, the more we're in your presence, the maturity and the shaping takes place. Father, thank you for welcoming us into your presence. Thank you for being real. Thank you for taking us as we are. Thank you, God, for the promise of Scripture that you're with us, that you're mighty to save, that you delight over us with singing. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.